LSU Tigers. LSU wins the BC. One team, one heartbeat. The New Orleans Hornets select Anthony Davis. And I'll tell you, Mardi Gras about to break out. Talk here. about my Saints. To the 20. Geis, touchdown. Who that? This is the Chris Gordy Show. Good morning, New Orleans. Welcome into the Chris Gordy Show here on Sports 1280 New Orleans. Chris Gordy here. Producer Michael will be along the way. But every Wednesday at 8.05, we get things started off right out of the gates with our favorite scout, coach, analyst, Chris Landry. The LandryFootball.com report gets underway. Chris, good morning to you, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, Chris. Hope you're doing well. Well, I'd be doing better if uh, had the Saints gotten a W on Monday night. Um, I guess overall, after you had a chance to watch the game and then watch some of the film on it, I went back and rewatched a little bit of it last night. What were your uh, overall takeaways from a, a 10-point loss to the Vikings in, in Minneapolis? Well, uh, certainly a team that's built around offense has got to be able to score in the red zone. Coming up with field goals are never going to get it done for this team. And then, you know, the lack of patience with the running game, which – you know, I thought took place early, and then when you get behind uh, double digits in this league, your game plan is out the window, and you're throwing the football. And um, while this is a team that is very effective throwing the football, they're going to have to run the football and stay committed, and more patient with the run, or else their defense is going to going to continue to struggle. Their defense is not good enough to stop people, and. You know, uh, a lot of talk about, well, how much better have they gotten? Well, they're better in some areas. It may not have shown it the other night, but it's not going to be very productive if they can't uh, stay on the field offensively and uh, and bleed the clock a little bit. So um, they really could not generate any sort of pass rush whatsoever outside of Cam Jordan. Um, very A handful of guys graded out, you know, fairly well. I actually thought, uh, their down front played pretty well for what they were asked to do, uh, but they just couldn't generate any uh, any pass rush, and uh, that's that's going to be a problem. Uh, they put a lot of uh, a lot of pressure in their secondary as they normally do. They were very aggressive, but they had to be at some point. So, uh, listen, I think it really falls on uh, offensively not being able to get the ball in the red zone and not being able to run the football because defensively this is still going to be a very average looking team. It looks like a seven and nine team once again, and. Um, uh, it's uh, be very shocking if they start, uh, um, you know, if they don't start zero and two. So they're going to be behind the eight ball from the beginning, and they got a long way to go. You mentioned the lack of the pass rush, and I think to me that was the most surprising. But you know, we talked about this, Chris, who they faced throughout the preseason. I mean, as good as that defense looked, the front seven was really getting pressure on the quarterback. The linebacker play played really well. But when you go back and look at it, and 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 we ran through the list: Brock Osweiler, Deshaun Kaiser, Cody Kessler, Tom Savage, Deshaun Watson, Kellen Clemens. I mean, it was. Not a list of world beaters. And really the one test they got in the preseason was the joint practices with Philip Rivers, and he killed them that day. So, you know, really if we would have paid attention a little bit more to who they were actually facing, I think we would have realized, okay, well, they haven't really they weren't really tested by any good quarterbacks in the preseason. And not to say Sam Bradford is a world beater by any means, but he's certainly efficient. Had one of his best years uh, ever last year as a Viking and he had one of his best career games on Monday night, and so I think that was the most disappointing. But if you really paid attention, you could have seen, okay, well, the you know, look, this this defense looked really good uh, abusing the Ryan Mallets and the 
and the you know Tom Savages of the world, but in terms of facing a pretty good quarterback at Sam Bradford, a number one overall pick, uh, he picked him apart. Well, the defensive line never generated much pass rush, and it, and it doesn't have that. Even in preseason, it came a lot from second-level pressures. But, uh, no, the defensive line doesn't have good pass rushers. Uh, it's as simple as that, and that's not going to change for the most part. I think you're going to see uh, – I think a couple of guys – Cam Jordan is, is certainly an elite player and has been since he's been in the league, and he's the one guy that can beat his guy – um, consistently. They don't have anybody else that can do that. Um, and so, I, listen, I'm not all that surprised. Where I'm a little bit surprised is that uh, how quickly they abandon the run early. And, again, that's that's going to cause the problems. When you are having to rush the passer uh, an excessive amount trailing from behind, you're never going to be really good at uh, effective rushing the passer, particularly as thin as the Saints are. You mentioned abandoning the run. Um, as far as the game plan goes, uh, a Saints team that's always pass happy anyway. When they were running the ball, I mean it was 3 yards a, you know, 2 to 3 yards a carry it felt like. It felt like they were they couldn't penetrate that that defensive front from the Vikings. So at what point when you're only getting 2 3 yards a carry, you know, how, how do you stick with that as a coach in your game plan and and not get pass happy after that? Well, you have to work around it. I mean, you can't you have to be able to get movement off the line of scrimmage. It's part of the offensive line's fault and it's it's part of it. But, uh, yeah, if every time you get stopped, if you abandon it and you don't try to work the perimeter and try to uh, stay on the field, you're not going to win games because you're going to have to win shootouts every week. And, um, you know, you're going to win a few of those. You're going to lose most of them. So uh, it really comes down to it. Um, It's why you go out and sign an Adrian Peterson. Uh, Don't go out and sign a player like that if you're not going to use them. It's one of the issues that I've always talked with Sean about, even when they were, uh, you know, thinking about drafting Mark Ingram, is, you know, you have guys that are certain type of backs. And uh, an Adrian Peterson and even Mark Ingram are impact carry backs. They're guys that they're not going to do anything for you if you give them six to eight touches. They're only effective if they get maximum touches. And, well, this is an offense that's built around spreading the football. So, you know, it's part of the problem of a lot of their personnel decisions that have been made. They're idea-driven in the offseason, but when it comes down to utilizing them in the season, it just doesn't fit what they want to do. Well, you know, it's wrong either way you want to do it. You either don't sign a guy like that and you put your resources elsewhere, or, you know, you you stay committed to the reason why you signed them and go forward with it. So the answer to your question is you've got to be able to run the football, and you've got to be able to run the football sometimes by working the passing game and then going back to the run. And they, they really weren't able to do that. And it could be a systemic problem because they tend to give up a lot defensively and you get behind in games. Once you get down by 10, you know, 13 points, whatever, it's, it's, you're going to abandon the run. The game plans are, uh, are, they morph and adjust in the NFL based upon uh, the time left in the game and the score on the clock. So, I mean, to answer your question is you've got to stay working with it and you've got to work your way into being able to run the football. And if they can't, then... This will be a sub-500 team. Again, you can mark that uh, in stone if they can't become more balanced on offense. Talking with Chris Landry, this is the LandryFootball.com report. Uh, recapping some of the Saints' uh, loss to to the Vikings the other night. Um, uh, with the running backs, Chris, what did you make of the distribution? I think uh, according to snap counts, I think Alvin Kamara actually had the most snaps among the running backs. But between Ingram and 
Peterson and Kamara, what did you make of the distribution? And, you know, is this going to be a problem for, for the coaching staff moving forward, making sure all these guys are happy and getting enough touches? Well, I don't, I don't think that you need to worry about guys being happy. What you have to do is you have to be successful and you have to win and you have to perform well. And, again, I think it's, it's a collaborative effort. I think you've got to, um, in, in a game plan that they constantly adjust, you've got to uh, find a way – to attack all parts of the field, and that includes working the perimeter, working inside. Uh, you know, the Saints, because of their formation, and again, they're absent of Willie Sneed, they should have a tremendous opportunity to have success running the football because they're going to see uh, more six- and seven-man fronts than most people will ever see because their ability to spread the football and the respect that defenses have for Drew Brees. The, the guy that, that everybody fears uh, when they play against the Saints defensively is is Drew Brees. So that gives you a built-in opportunity to be successful running the football. The problem is if you don't stay committed to it early and you get behind in games, uh, then all of a sudden you can't run the football. And so when you can't run the football because you're behind, um, then then you're not going to have the type of balance. Then you're going to be one-dimensional on offense, and then you're going to find the passing game not as successful because the opposing team can tee off on the pass game. They don't have to worry about the run. And so that's the formula that the Saints have to get out of. So the overall distribution, listen, Kamara's going to be a guy that they're going to work in the passing game, work the perimeter. You mentioned it earlier. It's true. They could not get movement off the line of scrimmage, which is why they were trying to get Kamara in space a little bit. I think the distribution shouldn't be so much, well, we need to get this guy X amount of touches. I think it has to be a game-by-game situation uh, and, and how it fits into the game plan and then how the flow of the game plan evolves during the course of the game. But you have to be able to work uh, the inside zone, particularly when you can get people spread out. Uh, and they just, you know, when you're down double digits, again, repeating myself, you're not going to be running inside zone at that point. It's early. you got to stay committed to it. And that's part of the, the negative but also the strength of Sean. Sean is really good at crafting mismatches in the passing game. But, and and that's, a, that's really what he does very well. Of all the things that he does as a play caller, that's what he, he ascends to very well. But in, in that, he sometimes abandons the running game a little too quick, just as you mentioned. Well, they, you know, get a couple of big plays, and then, well, you get stopped, then you give up. Well, no, you have to go another way around it because you're not going to win games in this league throwing it you know, 50, 45, 50 times a game. Um, you're, you're just putting yourself in harm's way, and you're making your defense, which is already weak, um, even weaker. For all of their, their struggles that they had, they, they were able to get into the red zone a handful of times, uh, just weren't able to capitalize. I mean, obviously, I think you tip your cap to the Vikings. That's one of the best defenses you'll see all year. Uh, as we look ahead to the Saints playing the Patriots this this week, feels like things may get a little bit easier uh in terms of the defense you're facing after watching what the Patriots uh, gave up to the to the Chiefs last week at on their home turf, uh, do you see that happening this weekend? And no. Uh, no, do we get to I, a shootout think, this week? I don't. I don't think it's any easier at all. I think it's a defense that is going to give them a lot of trouble. Um, I think Minnesota's defense is really good. I, I think the problem in the red zone, really, the receivers did not play well. The route concepts were not well conceived. You know, Ted Ginn is not a really good underneath route runner. So he's not going to be very effective in the red zone. Um, he doesn't break off his routes very well. He's a, he's a rounder there. 
and that's again part of a you know uh, Sean loved the fit, but he's a vertical fit, and I think they can do certain things with him. But in the red zone, he's he's a liability in terms of as a route runner. So it it it, it hurts your spacing, and it makes it a little bit easier to cover. And I thought uh, I thought they struggled a lot just in terms of their overall route running in the red zone because. Yeah, the three field goals, you've got to come away with at least two touchdowns there. Uh, and, it, and if you're the Saints, where you, you, know, you're, you're, uh, you basically hang your hat on your offense, you, you've got to probably score three touchdowns there because you know that you're going to have to build up and bank points in order to be able to hold up defensively. You, you know better than anyone, Bill Belichick and that coaching staff. Very rarely do they have a, as bad a performance as they had the other night down the stretch against the Chiefs. Very rarely do they have bad performances in back-to-back games. So for mm-hmm. the Saints, that doesn't bode well for them. No, it doesn't. Do you... And here's the thing about it. And Andy Reid, um, you know, working with Bill Belichick for years, the two guys that have given him the most trouble in terms of attacking his defense is a Mike Shanahan, who's obviously no longer in coaching, and Andy Reid. And one of the things he'll take away and is he'll take away your strength. So, all right, we'll take away Hill. We'll take away Travis Kelsey in particular. And Andy Reid stayed committed to the run and run, ran the football well. So, uh, that's what you're going to see. You're going to see him do the same thing against the Saints, take away the passing game. So, again, we'll see how committed the Saints are to the running game. And if they are don't, then they really are not going to have a chance. They're, they're, it's going to be just as futile. If they can stay committed to the run, um, then they'll be successful. The problem is going to be, again, defensively. You're talking about the, the, the way Kansas City won that game was with their defense. Um, and they were able to play really good coverage and get good base pressure in the second half, not in the first half. Um, I, I don't, I don't see the Saints being able to do that. So the biggest problem they're going to have in this game is, uh, you know, is containing Tom Brady, who's going to be uh, obviously have an edge to him. And if they get a, onto a lead, then there goes the Saints' running attack again, and then it becomes a one-dimensional offense against um, against the Patriots defense, and I think you'll find that uh, this Patriots defense is still very good, that Kansas City is not quite where New Orleans is. So uh, I, I think this could be very, very difficult. I think certainly it's an important game for the Saints. Uh, I expect them to play better, but I don't see them matching up particularly well here. He is Chris Landry. This is the LandryFootball.com report. Real quick, Chris, some thoughts on LSU. They get Arden Key back this week. Obviously, that will help them, but going to be their toughest te- tuss- test yet of the season going into Starkville to take on Mississippi State. Nick Fitzgerald is a dynamic quarterback. Mississippi State leading the conference and offense so far. Uh, your thoughts on, on LSU going into a hostile environment? Well, yeah, it's the only real test to this point. Uh, it is a conference game. It's on the road. All those things are different challenges for a team that's playing a lot of young players. Fitzgerald is a good quarterback that can uh, manipulate the football around. They, they can do a really good job off the the zone read, and so you've got to be disciplined. Uh, you've got to locate the football. The eye discipline is so important, uh, going to be so important for the linebackers here because I think that athletically LSU is a huge advantage. But um, you've got to stay in position to make plays, and that that to me is going to be the key. It's a game LSU should win. Should win likely going away here in the second half, but. Uh, it's a game in which uh, eye discipline on defense is going to be the real key against this offense. Defensively, um, you know, this Mississippi State team has got a couple big-time players up front. Uh, Fitzgerald's a great player, so I think that uh, being balanced on offense, 
uh, trying to, to be patient with the run again, but they're going to have to, to find a way to work the game and the, the screen game in a little bit better uh, as they go forward. Uh, I think it's a step up. It's a, it's a nice progression, Chris, in the schedule in that now it gets to a, you know, a better team, a better opponent that can challenge you a little bit more and then obviously before you get into the, begin to get into the meat of the schedule. He is Chris Landry. The website is LandryFootball.com. I was just on there, Chris. I know you got film uh, film review of a lot of different teams. I'm sure you'll have one coming up with the Saints um, yeah, very shortly. Yeah, that'll be up within the hour, uh, okay. in fact. And we've got, uh, obviously, the college uh, breakdowns. We've got LSUs, and most of the SECs already up. Very cool. So LandryFootball.com, and of course, uh, you're continuing to help the uh, flood vi- relief victims in Texas, taking 50% of the uh, subscription cost, donating it to flood relief victims, uh, buying items needed for, for folks out there. And uh, you can do it right there at LandryFootball.com. We encourage you to do it. It's perfect for any football fan who wants that little bit of extra that you need to uh, better understand the game. Chris, thanks so much, man. We really do appreciate it. Hey, thank you, Chris. I appreciate it, buddy. Have a good right, week. Th- thanks a lot, Chris. Chris Landry there of uh, LandryFootball.com. We'll take a uh, quick break. We'll come back and uh, we'll reset things. We'll introduce producer Michael. We'll get going with the show here on this Wednesday, September 13, 2017. Back right after this. This is Chris Gordy on Sports 1280, New Orleans. Welcome back to the Chris Gordy Show here on Sports 1280 New Orleans. We appreciate Chris Landry with the LandryFootball.com report. Joins us first segment. Joins us first segment of the show every Monday right here on the show. And we appreciate him for that. Great stuff there. Breaking down the Saints and his takeaways. And he seems to think it won't get any easier defensively for the Saints this week. I mean, obviously, Saints defense doesn't get a rest facing Tom Brady, but he doesn't think, you know, I, th- I thought, okay, you know, Patriots defense is a step backward from the Vikings. Saints will have more success this week. Chris seems to think maybe not. He, th- he thinks the Patriots defense is still pretty good, and he thinks that, uh, you know, some of the Saints' issues, one is on uh, Sean Payton getting away from the run, but two, he also thinks some of the route running of the wide receivers wasn't very good, especially in the red zone. So it sounds like Saints could continue to have some issues this week. And I, I'm still going to stick with my prediction that it's a shootout and the Saints and Patriots ex- exchange touchdown after touchdown. But um sounds like Chris is thinking maybe the Patriots run away with this one. And if that's so, I mean, you're staring down the gun of, a, of an 0-2 start, and that's not good for anyone. So... Uh, we'll uh, we'll we'll get into that a little bit later in the week as we get closer to uh, previewing Saints and um, Saints and Patriots this Saturday from or Sunday from the Superdome. Uh, also, Chris had some good thoughts there on LSU getting Arden Key back. He seems to think they win going away at Mississippi State. We'll get into all of that throughout the morning, but first we got to welcome in producer Michael. Oh, hello, man! I I, I know I'm here. And you know what also I know? What's the Saints that? still lost and it sucks. Yeah. It uh you were hoping it was a nightmare that you woke up and didn't really happen, but it did. And this song still can't bring me back. Like it can't get my spirits going in the right direction. You know what's which in- is tough. You know what's interesting though? You know how ESPN does like the power polls and stuff? Saints moved up a couple of spots in the power poll. And I, wonder, I always love a good power ranking poll. I wonder for ESPN especially. I wonder if that's just because people nationally expected 
like one they they expect the the Vikings to be really good and maybe they're realizing okay it was a tough environment for the Saints to go into a really good defense and you know we still think the Saints will be pretty good but they're not as good as the Vikings. I'm still ab- absolutely optimistic for the long term of the season. I'm not going to let that change. But it is disappointing that they didn't get to that, like we talked about yesterday, to that point where you you needed to win that one. Knowing what the beginning of the season looks like, you had to win that that's, game. That's how I felt. Yeah, I mean, I I just felt like yesterday was a or Monday night was a must win with New England up next. Then you go to Carolina, and then you have to go all the way to London to play Miami, and then your bye week. I just felt like the Vikings was a game you had to win. And then you know, look, there was a, there was a real. 0-3 is a realistic thing here. I'm New not, England coming in this week and then two Carolina next week. I don't know. I'm not worried about the Panthers all that much. And that sounds they look crazy. pretty good. Yeah, they looked all right. But getting their, getting their weapon, Christian McCaffrey settled in. Fumbled the ball once, yeah. so there's that. But uh, you've you got to pull off the miracle this week. You absolutely have to pull off the miracle this week. I don't know what it's going to take to – or. The, the live dog that is the New England Patriots, when they're beat up or when their uh, back's against the wall a little bit, and they're that, at that point with just one game into the season now, they don't have all the weapons that they typically have. Right. But still, it's just like, oh, this is, it's just this terrifying feeling. Now, the hope you have to have is that, okay, it's at home. And, you know, it's tough to play in the Superdome. It's going to be tough for that team to come in here and deal with the noise, deal with the craziness, home opener. So you, you just bank on that at this point. I, but, I can absolutely see a, a scenario where they win the game. Like I don't think it's impossible to beat them at all. No, I, and look, you know they they showed their holes. They showed their weaknesses late, late in that game with Kareem Hunt just absolutely going off on them. If the Saints O line can block, you know a guy like Adrian Peterson or Mark Ingram can go off, and, and Alvin Kamara's got the speed of Kareem Hunt. He can uh, he can run that way. So I mean, if you if it's a close game or Saints hold a a small lead late. If they can run the ball, you know they'll they'll they can get away with a victory. I just don't see. Again, Tom Brady's still Tom Brady. Now he loses a couple of his weapons. We know he's without Edelman, and now it sounds like Amendola may not play with the concussion. Mm-hmm. You know, so basically you're talking Gronk, Brandon Cooks, and then Philip Dorsett, who they just who just got there. You know, maybe his weapons are a it little will, bit limited. It will be a nice test to see. Look, I. I still feel like going back and looking at some of the game again yesterday for or against the Vikings that it was a team or from a defensive side of the ball standpoint that the the linebacking group to me still stood out the most. They they actually played I felt like a pretty decent game. They they did what they needed to do in the open field. They they played downhill, they played fast, they made tackles in open field. They they, they just they were the most consistent of any of the position groups on the defensive side of the football. Uh, against the Vikings. Now, you have a huge test when it comes to not just, you know, wrapping people up and doing what you did in the first game in game 2. Linebackers going to be called on to to cover Rob Gronkowski. And he's kind of a big deal. And who's going to be that guy? Is it going to be Manti Teo who gets the bulk of the coverage as a linebacker on him in the game? He, he made gonna... a play early the other night and then he just disappeared. It was like you didn't hear from him the rest of the game. I don't think is, but I still like going back and looking at it again. Yes, I don't think he was terrible. Like he was still around everything. Yeah. He was exactly what where, where things went downhill. They pulled, they pulled the extra safety. So that's why like Von Bell didn't play much at all. Von Bell's a second round pick from a year ago. He got pulled because. On that drive, when the Vikings started going pass heavy, 
Dennis Allen pulled pulled the extra safety and put the extra DB out there, which turned out to be Devontae Harris, which you might as well stuck with the safety out the extra safety because Devontae Harris couldn't do crap. So um that that's why we didn't see much of him. But again, I go back to you two consecutive years you spend a second round pick on a safety from Von Bell to this year with um, uh Marcus Williams, and we didn't hear much out of either one of those no. guys. If you would have used that second round pick on an edge rusher both of the past years, maybe you could have gotten to the quarterback. So it just frustrates me. And then Kenny Vaccaro, when I went back and watched some of the film yesterday, he was god awful. He was not good. Now look, he's never been great against the pass. He's he's typically been really good against the run, which is never a good thing if you're a safety. You, you want your safety to be better against the pass than the yeah, run. Yeah, you don't you don't want to be what they call a box safety. That's kind of what Vaccaro is, and you know he's was out of position, slow to recognize. Uh, you know, pass routes and where the receiver was going, and he just he didn't have a good game. So, and especially if you're going to be a, a, a safety that's good against the run, um, you got to make some tackles when they're running the ball, and they ran the ball over, ran the ball all over you, yeah. in that ball game. All right, uh, coming up, we got some uh, news from the Saints, some personnel uh, things they brought back. One of the guys that they had during training camp, they cut another one, and they put another guy on the practice squad. We'll tell you who that is after this. Uh, but first, a moment for our friends at Hover Helmets. Hover Helmets. If you love LSU football or if you're looking for the perfect gift for the LSU fan of your life, here's your answer. It's Hover Helmets. It's perfect for young people, old people, at the home, the office, the man cave, wherever you want to put this thing. It's an authentic replica mini helmet with the LSU logo or the school logo of your choice if you want to do Tulane or something like that. Um, it hovers and spins in midair. Uh, if you have kids, they can use it as a nightlight. It features an LED lighting that illuminates the helmet from below, provides like this unique look, uh, makes the helmet stand out. It's Hover Helmets. They now have an expanded selection of college football teams to choose from. And be on the lookout this uh, this Christmas season. They're going to have NFL helmets, including the Saints. So uh, HoverHelmets.com, that is the website, HoverHelmets.com. And Sports 1280 listeners, you can receive a 20% discount and free shipping but you have to enter the promo code 1280. That is 1280. You put in that code at checkout, you'll get 20% off and free shipping. So all you're basically paying for is just the the, the helmet itself and the and the, the system it spins on. It's hoverhelmets.com. Hover helmets, the next level in sports memorabilia. Your home for cakes baseball. Sports 1280. New Welcome back in. Chris Gordy Show here on Sports 1280. Producer Michael here as well. I forgot to mention Bruce Feldman's going to join us next hour. Bruce Feldman from Fox Sports. He's writing for Sports Illustrated again, isn't yeah, he? Yeah, it's a weird thing. He's, Fox killed all their writers. He's still working for Fox, but they're calling him a Fox Sports 1 employee yeah, now. He's on TV as a, as a sideline guy. Yeah, they brought him in as a writer. Right. That's what he's done he for years and years. started doing the sideline stuff. and Right. Totally weird. So Fox knows what they're doing with a lot of things. So he gets to he's going to be on the sidelines for Army at Ohio State. Hmm. Spread is about thirty three, I believe, right now. Well, I guess paycheck clears. That's all that matters. Yeah. Well, I don't know if I want to be at that game. And it's a bounce back win for Ohio State. I mean, they got a 
they got to bounce back and look better. JT Barrett has not looked good at all they're for gonna, two games. They're not going to cruise through that conference this year. I don't care what anybody – Michigan looks better than you I know, think Michigan anybody expected. Michigan is better than I thought. I the thought defense with, is going to be for real. I knew they recruited well, but I just thought with all that they lost, I thought that they were going to take a step backward this year. And, and that quarterback still sucks. Yes. Like, he's not good, but no. the defense is good enough. They're able to run the ball a little bit, so – it's going to come yeah. down. I mean, it's, it's in the Big Ten. It's going to come down to Michigan, Michigan State. Yeah, the big game. Ohio State's going to lose like probably three games. Big game this weekend is uh, Clemson. I was thoroughly impressed with how good their defense Seriously. looks looked against Auburn. They like it feels like every year they they lose a bunch of D linemen to the draft and they just reload. I mean, they've, they've got guys one behind of the, them. They've become one of those schools where they don't have to rebuild at this point. It's a reload yeah. every single year. They get enough talent now. And the quarterback has, you know, showed some signs of they can run lo- the ball looks like Deshaun year. Watson yeah. a little bit. And so they have to go to Louisville to play the Heisman reigning Heisman trophy winner Lamar Jackson who I've mentioned it before. Look, last week in North Carolina and the week before at Purdue, I think he's looked better to me that I've been more impressed by Lamar Jackson this season than I was last season. Yeah, last season he was really impressive early in the season. Um, he was impressive in the win over Florida State. I think of how many guys take a step, but like Johnny Manziel took a step back his his year after his Heisman year. Did he, he was, take a step back? He was okay. I think his team he was okay, took a step back. No, he threw a lot more interceptions. And I'm a pull he still had now. some big games, but. I'm just saying. I'm making the point. It's hard to repeat. It's hard to be in the conversation and well, repeat. For Lamar think, Jackson t- last year. He also was involved in a in a Heisman class that really sucked. In yeah. all honesty, uh, Manziel was actually he threw four more interceptions, but he threw uh, eleven more touchdowns his second year and threw for about five hundred more. But yards. it was a few more garbage opponents and things like that. Like when it really mattered that year, he couldn't. They didn't come through. No, and yeah, and the they, defense sucked. Yeah, they sucked. They went uh they went nine and four. But like the Alabama season. game that year. They were down like two over two touchdowns, and then he got some garbage touchdowns to make it close. Right. They went eleven and two his Heisman year, then they went nine and four. So the, and that team wasn't as good. And now they're struggling with Nickel State. They've they've come a long way, Aggies. How far the unmighty have fallen. <laughs> sucks for them. Here's the thing if you're an LSU fan, I was talking to a buddy about this yesterday. You you want Kevin Sumlin to keep that job. Because if he gets fired, they're going to bring in a guy who might actually be able to beat LSU, like Chip Kelly. You keep saying that. You, you the, want Kevin Sullivan to keep that job. Until, Root for until, him to win eight games this year. Hang until I see A&M do it. And for my entire life, they've never done it. They've always been the king of fail. And they've had some unbelievable success but I'll say in their that past. Now more than ever, that school's got enough money behind them. Right, but at some support, point, like great they, facilities, but they have not they, renovated stadium. They've won eleven games their first year in the conference, and since then they've been crap with all these things that you mentioned. So until they do they've it, been crap. They've been they've been what, mediocre they, for all these things you mentioned. That's crap. Right to win eight games to win nine. Well, it's hard. LSU, Auburn, Alabama. <laughs> It's hard to win. Oh, I know. I'm not saying it's not hard. It's an incredibly difficult task. But they are the charter school of the SEC in the state of Texas, the biggest you know football program, basically football state when it comes to revenue. Right. They should be able to do whatever they want. They should get whatever. And it comes down to them having terrible coaching. And you know what? Keep it that way because that's one less team that LSU has to really, really worry about when they play play them every that's, year. That's that's what I'm saying. Is you know it's you're worried about. You know, for for as much as you like to hate on other teams and ha ha A&M sucks, Sumlin sucks, he should be fired. No, 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 no. You don't want that guy fired. Yeah. You want, Go ahead and win enough a, games to stick around. It's the same reason why Alabama fans are rooting for Butch Jones to win this year. 
they want him at Tennessee for years and years to come because that's a W on their schedule every year. Yeah, as long as Butch Jones is there, if if he can put together, if Tennessee fails and they move on for Butch Jones, Alabama gets nervous because they're like, we got to play that school every year. Hopefully, they don't hire Chip Kelly or somebody really good. You really think Alabama gets nervous? If yeah, I think it's something to be concerned about. If yeah, that's that, that that's name a that school would... that's on your on your radar every year. I'll tell you this: there were Alabama folks who were nervous that LSU was going to get Tom Herman, and a lot of them were relieved oh, when they be, found yeah. out Ed Ogeron State. Now I think they'll be eating their eating their meal if Ed Ogeron gets LSU over the hump and and is able to beat Alabama here in the next year or two. But that was um, last year. You you keep an eye on you know you keep an eye on the other teams around you and you want you want them to to fail and have the bad coaches as long as possible at some point some big time coach is going to figure it out i should go if i'm going to go to the sec and go to the sec east and that tennessee job opens up it's a very attractive job it's you say that but Muschamp is quietly getting turning South Carolina around pretty quickly kirby smart kirby smart seems to have the wheels rolling at georgia now you know, McElwain's always going to be a tough out with Florida. But I'm talking though, like the Chip Kellys of the world, like a Chip Kelly. Yeah, no, I think if he Chip Kelly goes to Tennessee next year, I think he absolutely like, that would turn be, that around. Yeah, that would be a like. Don't take the A and M job because you got to compete in that. I mean, I look, you still have to play Alabama if you're at Tennessee, but that's I would take a job the in that big, side of the conference in a heartbeat. The big thing with that A and M job is the money. Yes, I mean, but any, Tennessee can put together the you money. You look at you look at the test and go, my God, why would you want to go play Mississippi State, LSU, Auburn? You know, well, they can Alabama pay me, they every can year. Pay you eight million a year. Yeah, they pay. That's they write the paycheck. You go, okay. Well, I'll yeah. get, I'll get over because that's somebody was saying that about Chris Peterson. Chris Peterson's always been a Northwest guy. You know, loved it at Boise. Never left. You know, was at Boise years and years and years. Finally left for the Washington job. He's done a great job with Washington, turning them around. And so the thought was, you know, Chris Peterson ever consider an open SEC job? And yeah, well, if AM opened up and it would be hard to go take that that job and play the tough schedule that they play, but again, money talks. Money talks. You but sign that paycheck. I think you, he probably makes enough at. I mean, this is a guy that didn't, like you said, didn't leave Boise forever. I mean, he makes right. enough at, at Washington. I think he makes almost $5 million a year. I think he's doing. I just don't, I don't know. I wouldn't put uh, Chris Peterson leaving, leaving Washington anytime soon. I, I'd, I'd be shocked about that one. Again. How much money is he making at Washington? So got to be only a couple mil. No, he's making he's almost making four and a half. Okay, but that's if you, a good, that's a good chunk if, of change. But if A and M doubles it, you know. Yeah, but what's the likelihood of A and M doubling anybody or any like Nick Saban's making what eight now? Is Some, he making eight? Yeah, he's it's somewhere in that territory. Someone makes five. So, and and A and M's got the money. I think at the end of the day, like. Do you I think want to live go, in Seattle, I Washington, to, I think or they College go to Station, seven. Texas for a difference of a million dollars? No, it's three million. If they go, he goes from four yeah, to seven. They're not giving him seven. Why not? Because he's not going to be the second highest paid coach in college football. I think they'd go to seven for a Peterson or a or or a Chip Kelly. I could see it for a Chip Kelly. I just don't. I don't know. I, I don't see it getting to that point yet. Oh well, I guess let's see. Good lord, Harbaugh makes nine million. Yes, he's he's the highest paid, but but he uses a good bit of that money uh, to pay his assistant coaches. Yes. Oh yeah, he uses four million of it to pay his assistant. Yeah. Wow. Highest paid assistant uh, staff in the country. Oh, you know, LSU's up there though. Clemson's up there too. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's do this. We'll take a quick break. We'll come back. We still got some uh, more Saints stuff. We got to get into some NFL stuff. Uh, some news and notes. I know the players of the week just came out. We'll get to that. 
And uh, we still got to get a little bit into LSU. Again, we mentioned earlier, Arden Key is back. We'll hear from Ed Ogeron on that. And then coming up in the next hour, around 9.30, we're going to talk with Bruce Feldman, National College Football Writer. Going to join the show. It's the Chris Gordy Show here on Sports 1280 New Orleans. Back to the Chris Gordy Show on Sports 1280 New Orleans. Welcome back, Chris Gordy Show, Sports 1280 New Orleans. You know, Michael, week one of the NFL sucked overall. Only three games in week one were decided by seven or fewer points. That is the lowest number for opening week games in the NFL since 1973. That's what I've been saying. It was a bad, a bad week. A lot of lopsided games. A lot of sloppy play. It looked like a week one hardcore week one. But you know what was... I think Andy, Andy Dalton just threw another pick. I think so. he did. Uh, the awards for week one have been announced. Did you see this? Uh, you know, they have the players of the week in each conference. Uh, to the AFC side first, offensive player of the week, who would you guess that would be? Kareem Hunt. No, Alex Smith. Alex Smith. 28 to 35, four touchdowns, no interceptions, 368 yards in the win over the Patriots gets AFC yeah, offensive could, player of the week. He couldn't have done it without Kareem Hunt. So. Well, yeah, he threw, a, he threw a 75 and a 78-yard touchdown in that game. Pretty darn, uh, pretty darn good. The defensive player of the week in the AFC is who? What is it? The defensive player defensive of the week player in the of the AFC. Week in the AFC. Hmm. Four sack game. I'll tell you that. Oh, that was uh Clay Campbell. Yeah. Jacksonville Jaguars did that against the Texans. Uh to the special teams player of the week. I'm gonna go ahead and guess you won't get this one. It is the man filling in for the fat boy Sebastian Janikowski out in Oakland. Oh, the new G- kicker. Giorgio Taviecho. Tavachio? Sure. Sure. Yeah, that's right. So to the NFC side, Offensive Player of the Week is who, Chris Gordy? In the NFC? Yep. I'm going to go with Sam Bradford. That would be correct. 27 <laughs> oh, of 32 for 346 yards and three Sa- touchdowns in the win over Saints the Saints. Saints defense has improved. So improved that the quarterback, the mediocre quarterback they faced was AFC, NFC Player of the Week. Uh, offensive Player of the Week for Sam Bradford. It, to the uh, defensive side of the ball, a cornerback that plays on the West Coast. Uh, I don't know, like Tremaine Johnson. Tremaine Johnson, okay. way to go, Los Angeles Rams, and the play or the uh, special teams player of the week. It's a kicker slash punter, I guess. It says kicker slash punter. I guess he had to punt because the punter got hurt or something during the game. Uh, he got arrested once for DUI when he was a Denver Bronco. Uh, I don't know, Matt Prater. Lions kicker. Oh, he's the Lions now. Okay, yeah, he's the, he's I can't Lions keep track of these damn kickers. Yeah, no, it doesn't matter. Where's Hauschka now? Is he's in like Buffalo or something? Oh. He was with Seattle like during their whole run through. I you thought, know, uh, I thought the guy that was missing everything. And um, I thought the guy that was missing everything. Blair Walsh from the Vikings is with the. I Seahawks think he's now. with Seattle now. Yeah. Who knows? No, but Hauschka was with Seattle. I don't oh, so know where he is. Yeah, who, who knows? Can't keep track of these There's damn kickers. These stupid kickers. Um, kickers aren't people. I, I just saw this yesterday. Uh, you know, Will Wade, the, the former head coach at VCU, has come to LSU, and everybody's pretty excited about him and, and the possibilities. You know, obviously, it takes a long time. Hauschka's with the Bills, by the way. Yeah, that's what I thought. Um, it takes a long time to turn a college program around, especially in the SEC. It takes a couple of years to really... Because you got to recruit, you got to you got to develop your base, you got to bring in your staff, then you hit the recruiting trail, and within a couple of years, you could maybe develop a program and all this. 
Will Wade is wasting no time. For the second time in two and a half months, Will Wade and the, and the LSU basketball team received a commitment from a five-star prospect for the class of 2018. Power forward Nas Reed, 240-pounder out of... Uh, Rose- Nas, like N-O-S? N-A-Z. Oh, even better. Nas, maybe. Uh, Roselle Catholic High School in New Jersey announced his commitment via Twitter on Tuesday Taking an, an unofficial visit to the campus last weekend, Reed is the 18th-ranked prospect in the nation that shows LSU over Arizona, Louisville, Kentucky, Kansas, UCLA, and Arizona. Hmm. Reed's girlfriend is a member of the LSU women's basketball team, so that helps. She was a five-star recruit as well. Reed joined Scotlandville's Javante Smart, a 6'4 point guard who was among the nation's elite players, as the first two commitments for Wade's second LSU team, which will be the 2018-2019 team. So, man, uh, this guy is this guy is coming in guns a-blazing. Like, how is he selling the program? Like, you have nothing to sell it on other than, hey, I know they're bottom, they're bottom of the conference right now, but, hey, man, come play for me. We'll turn things around real quick. So, we'll wait. As, uh, you sell it on the SEC. You sell it on who you are doing what you did at VCU, and then you sell the fact probably that, look, we didn't, weren't. This team wasn't very good last year, but we had the you know a couple years. We had Ben Simmons go first overall. I yeah, mean, simple as that. But that was Johnny Jones. I mean, it's you know, and and they they couldn't even make the tournament with Ben Simmons. So yeah. uh, I don't know. Will Wade is a he's a grinder, man. They said he, from day one he was out there hitting the recruiting trail, and he he's he's out there everywhere. I mean, we saw him at freshman orientation. He went and addressed the freshmen, said, "Hey, I want to see all you guys at, at games," and and gave them a promise that. He's going to win a title before they graduate LSU. So he's I'm saying actually, yeah. in four years he's going to win a title at LSU. I'm so. actually excited, like actually really excited to watch LSU basketball. I, I truly yeah, for am. the like first time in forever. I mean, it's amazing what a coach can do. Like, and that's the kind of coach that can because he's young. He's what 34 years yeah, old. Really young. Uh, it's just it's one of those feelings that okay, it's going to be a good. It's going to be a good run with this man. He runs in you know an up tempo style. Yeah, exactly. Um, the, the new style of all fun, of it, fun all that, to yeah. watch and. Uh, and look, you know, the, the biggest thing they need to do in college basketball is get rid of a lot of these early season crap games. Either do that or or make the schedule shorter. Because no one wants to see these. One, the season starts way too early. What was it, November? I mean, you're playing these games during football season. Yeah. Uh, well, that's December, a, that, December. That's the thing, though. Like all these sports are going to start intertwining with each other because you got to get more, got to have more days off. This, that, and the other, and all this. Cra- it's not just college basketball. I mean, like yesterday, Major League Baseball announces we're going to start the season in March. Right. Like, in, in basketball this year, NBA starting two weeks earlier in the middle of football. It's like why? It's well, just, I'll just give you an example. Like Kentucky does a really good job of scheduling. Like you know, they'll play one or two lesser opponents their first week or two out of the gates. Like mm-hmm. I don't know, St. Mary's or I don't know, yeah. just some some. Bad team. St. Mary's actually good. Um, I don't know. Let's say like uh, I don't know, Transylvania University. They're down the street. They're Transylvania. In, yeah, they're in. That's Le- a real thing. Yeah, they're in Lexington. They're like a Division three school. Um, they'll play like schools. Which bathroom like, do they use? They'll play a couple of uh, schools like that. But then from there, they go. They they go on schedule the big dogs. They scheduled. I think they're playing UCLA in New Orleans this year. They they go on schedule big games and I wish gotta get that RPI up, bro. It, it used to be that way in college basketball, like in the late eighties, early nineties. There were teams that would go play. I don't care who you are, I'll, we'll go play you anywhere. Yeah. Uh, and then everybody our, got scared. And then the past few years, we got this. 
uh, this stretch of, all right, we're playing Nickel State, then we're going to play Southern, then we're going to play Grambling, then we're going to run through the entire SWAC, maybe schedule an Alcorn State. I mean, it's just like, come on, man. Make the schedule more appealing for to get fans to go out and see a, a Wednesday midweek game, you know? At that point of the year, though, you're like you said, you're watching football, you're watching even the NBA at that point. But it's resume building. I mean, even if you lose a close game to UConn, at least you went out and scheduled UConn, you know what I mean? So, I don't know. But I, I'm excited about Will Wade. I think he's going to... I think he's going to start winning this year, and uh, it'll be it'll be interesting because everybody thought, okay, well, you could suck this year, and it's okay. I think they're going to be competitive this year, and then having a top class going into next year is going to be exciting. So, hour number one in the books. When we come back, hour number two, Bruce Feldman is going to join us from Fox Sports 1. It's Chris Gordy Show right here on Sports 1280 New Orleans.